How many of you did watch the Mariners game? Anybody? Listen to the Mariners game? Anybody? Not all of you. How many of you, you know what, you just don't really care? Anybody? That's, there's, there's more hands than I, than I thought that would be. Um, I, uh, we were, we, we had an incredible opportunity, um, our, our leadership team, our elder team, we were at an elder retreat um, that started Thursday evening, we came home Saturday, that is yesterday evening, Greg, one of our elders, um, just very kindly on the way there on Thursday said, oh, so you scheduled the elder retreat on the Mariners' first playoff game in 20 years. And I think, uh, I, think uh, I was witty enough to make the joke, or maybe it was John, I, I can't remember, but it was like, hey, this is a prayer retreat for the Mariners. <laughs> and um, God is good. Uh, I, and then um, on top of that, uh, I've shared this before. Melissa and I, we choose a word for the year in, in the word we chose for 2022. This is back. This is, this, is way, this is back in December of 2021. Remember that year? <laughs> that was a disaster, wasn't it? Um, but our, our word of the year was miracle, miracle. And on the way home, um, Pastor John and I are in the same car, and we're listening to the game, and he keeps looking at me. He's like, Word of the year, miracle, miracle, miracle. So um, it's like, John, Pastor John, you're right. So it was, it was, it was pretty neat. Um, I came home and realized I don't have the television. I don't have the channel for it. I don't know if any of you have those struggles. Someone just informed me, you just sign up for all these free trials. Um, and like you get to watch it for free. Um, and so I wasn't able to do that, uh, and so I got on FaceTime with my wife. She was at our parents' house. They have the channel, and so I'm watching through my phone on her phone to the TV. Uh, we will outsmart this. So, hey, you didn't come here to learn more about the Mariners, did you? Some of you, maybe you did, but that's not why we're here. We're actually um, in the middle of this sermon series. We're really kind of asking this question is, you know, what should a healthy church look like? What should a church look like? And um, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Acts, and the reason why is the book of Acts is actually the story of the very first church. And one of the things that Pastor John and I wanted to do is we wanted to look at the 10 kind of essential character traits that made the church as healthy as it was, as strong as it was, and and frankly, um, as as life-changing as it was. Um, And today, I want to talk about how the church had a unique and distinct character trait of being generous, being generous. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to just open up your hands. Just open them up. Don't be afraid. Put them on your lap. You know, just hold them there for a moment. Um, I remember reading in this book, uh, it was talking about a lawyer who would tell um, his clients, when you go into this deposition, you're, you're the, the other side, the, the other lawyers are going to try and basically come after you. They, they want you to say something that, you know, you shouldn't say or uh, want to catch you in something or, or get you caught in the heat of, uh, of a moment. And so he would tell his clients during a deposition, sit down and underneath the table, I just want you to just open your hands up and just 
leave them open. And he described how his clients were just more gracious. They were, you know, very slow to anger. They were patient. There was, there was this level of mercy. Even though, on the other side, they're trying to really get them all riled up. And, and, and he would say, you know, if, if, if he could tell his client was kind of getting a little riled up and their hands started to kind of close out like this, he just kind of give them a nudge and whoop, sure enough, open them up. And, and he went on just to describe how extraordinary the results were when his clients would just, just open your hands. Don't go clenched fits, just open your hands and how it changes you. And when you look at scripture, there's actually a couple of different places where we see this allusion to the difference between being open-handed and close-handed. Now, you're still doing this, right? Maybe not, some of you not. So here's what I want you to do. Both hands open, now I want you to close one of them. And when you see in scripture, you, you see kind of this illustration alluded to in Psalms and in Proverbs about the difference between being open-handed and closed-handed. You know, a closed-handed person is, is someone who sees themselves as an owner. You know, all that they have, whether it's their, their possessions or it's their accomplishments or even if, if it's their finances, they see themselves as an owner. It, it's mine. Why is it mine? Because I earned it. I have a right to it. But then you have other people who are open-handed. They, they see themselves as, as stewards. All that they have, their accomplishments, their, their job, their family, their possessions, their income, all of it they see not as their own, but as a gift from God in which they are called to steward. Which are you, open-handed or close-handed? Close-handed, as you might guess, are more about consuming, open-handed are about contributing. Close-handed is about what can I get? Open-handed, what can I give? Close-handed are, are thinking, I need to protect my time, I need to protect my resources. Open-handed says, how can I give my time? How can I give my resources? Closed-hand thinks, how can I be blessed? Open-handed thinks, how can I be a blessing? Closed-hand, listen to this, can receive almost nothing from the Lord because they're just so closed-handed, close-hearted. But the open-handed person will receive far more abundantly than they could ever ask or imagine from the Lord. How many of you, you want to be open-handed? Anybody? Yeah? Do you know what the key to being open-handed is? It's not an attitude. Because all of us, yeah, of course I want to be open-handed. But I'm sure you figured this out about different things in life. Just because you desire something doesn't mean you possess something, right? There is a key action to being open-handed. And you know what it is? Generosity. Generosity. You cannot be open-handed if you are not generous. Now let's talk here for a moment about generous and generosity. Are you generous? 
Think about it. No one's calling on you. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to say yes or no to that. I want you to think about it. Am I generous? What I found is that generosity is actually really, really hard. I found that personally, generosity's hard. Um, I was looking up statistics and, uh, and, and found some surprising things. There was a study done in 2008 that found that Christians um, give an average of 2.7, no, excuse me, 2.9, <laughs> just really want to give them credit, not 2.7, 2.9% of their income to nonprofit things. That would include churches, 2.9%. Now, how many of you would say, <laughs> now that's generosity there, 2.9%? Whoo! Anybody? Generosity? Closed hand or open-handed? Which one? Put it up. Probably closed-handed. You know what was a little, it hurt, is that they found that Non-Christians gave 3.1% to nonprofit things. How is that? And, and I thought, well, th- that was 2007, or I think it was 2008. Times have changed, right? And, and so Christianity Today did a research on this in 2022, and they found that Christians give on average 2.5%. During the Great Depression, it was 3.5%. You know what this tells me? Generosity's hard. It's hard. It's it's hard to live open-handed. And what we're going to see in this passage that we're about ready to look at in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, is we're going to find that generosity did two magnificent things in the church. The very first thing that generosity did, specifically financial generosity did in the church, is it grew the unity of the church. How many of you believe that when you are generous with one another, it grows and it deepens the unity of a church? Amen? How many of you want to be a unified church? Amen? And that's what it did. But here's what it did on top of that. Not only did the generosity grow the unity of the church, but it grew the numbers of the church. Like people on the outside were going, who are these Christians? Who is this church? Why are they giving what they give? And people literally began to just come and join this church because of the way that they gave. How many of you, you want to grow and reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ? Amen? How many of you, you look at some of these blank spots in in the pews here and you're like, that'd be nice if someone would fill that, amen? The church was generous. Are you? Are we? So this passage, what I think it does is it doesn't just show us what happens when a church is generous, but I think it teaches us. It teaches you and I how to be generous, how to be generous, how to live open-handed. How many of you, you want to be generous? Amen? I know I do. 
So this passage, I'm gonna do something a little bit differently. I'm gonna read this story from beginning to end, and it's a story where there's a man named Barnabas that is highlighted as this open-handed man, and then it tells a story about a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira who, who like it seems like they're trying to be open-handed but can't help but be close-handed. And what happens And what was the difference between these two people? And so I want to read from beginning to end this passage, and then I want to circle back and just point out three or four things that that it teaches us how you and I can be generous. So it starts in verse 32 of chapter 4. It says, now the full number of those who believed, that is, those who believed in Christ, this is talking about the early church, it says they were of one heart and soul, that's speaking of unity, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. These next verses are really important. Think about them. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses. Okay, stop. I know that this is not everybody. How many of you own land or a house? Anybody? It's okay. It's all right. This is not, we're not shaming you, okay? That's, that's who it's describing, people who owned land and houses. Now watch what happens next. As many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. Those were, those were the church leaders and it was distributed to each as any had need. Okay, just let's, let's take this in for a moment. You have this church. At this point, it's, um, we get a sense that it's hundreds and hundreds, thousands of thousands, five, 6,000 people. And what happens is there's people that end up having needs in the church, financial needs, um, resource needs, not wants, not greeds, needs okay there's no one in here going you know what I just need a new Corvette someone should sell their house no none of that there were needs and you have people it says as many as were owners of land in houses as many as were it doesn't tell us how many but you get a sense that it's not like three people you get a sense that it's a lot of people who owned houses and who owned Um, properties and they saw the tangible needs in the church and and listen to this they didn't have a bake sale ain't hating on a bake sale listen I love a good bake sale especially if I'm the one taste testing okay they did not have a garage sale they did not have a yard sale they put their house on the market they sold their property that is crazy generosity, is it not? Now, we don't get a sense of, of whether they're selling their house and they're taking 100% of the profits and are giving them 
to, to those in need, though we're going to hear about a guy named Barnabas who does exactly that. But that's the level of the generosity. You know what I was thinking about this morning? I've been so focused on this sermon about being the person who gives, being the generous person. But can you imagine what it was like to be the person who didn't have a property, who didn't have a house? God didn't bless them that way. They didn't have that. And what it must have been like for them, and maybe they've got a family of five or six kids, and, and they come and they say, we hear that things are tight here. Here's $500 that should hold you over for the rest of the year. Can you imagine what that must have been like for those who are on the other side of this? How, what that meant to them. I mean, that, it, it increased this unity. That's what generosity does, guys. It's not just about you as the giver, but it's those who can be the receivers of it and how that unites you. Listen, um, not everyone is going to have the same financial situation, right? But there are some where they might be in a financial situation where they can do these kinds of things. And, and, it, and, and we live in a culture that says we should all aspire to be the person who's a millionaire. Um, we need to understand that in God's economy and in God's church, there, to, to be a receiver, there must be givers. But when there are givers, there are also receivers. And I just, I want to just take in this moment and go, what must have then this been like for these needs to be met with such extraordinary sacrifice and extraordinary generosity? Can you imagine if we were a church like that? A church like this. Now, we live in a very unique area, right, where... Um, Maybe there are some who have significant needs, and I don't want to diminish those, but the reality is there's probably a number of you. Hey, God's blessed you. God's provided for you. And it's not so much, hey, what are the needs that we can meet just in this church? I think that's the opportunity we have with other missions. What can we do in Sierra Leone, Africa? What can we do in... In down in Florida, what can we do in these different parts of the world where we just go, let's live open-handedly. Let's give and give and give ridiculously. That was the picture of this church. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I, I can't help but just make this, this point. Um, money is not bad. Money is not evil. Riches is not bad. Riches is not evil. Like, we need to get that in this passage. This whole passage is about the, the blessing that money can be. It's a horrible God, but it is a wonderful tool. 
And so we see how Barnabas uses it as, it, uses it as, this, as this tool. So, whew, Barnabas, what a guy. Now, the passage continues. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet now we're going to find that the problem is not that he didn't give a hundred percent of the proceeds the problem is going to be much deeper than that it's a hard issue but peter said Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. He died. That just got real, huh? And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval, about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Like all the people outside of the church looking in going, whoa. Ananias and Sapphira, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it feels like they, they really want to be generous. They really want to be open-handed. And somewhere along the lines, they, they blow it. They, they say, yeah, we, we, the money we're giving, that's the exact price of what we sold it for, and they had kept some of it back. Missing the mark of generosity. What I want you to see is this. Generosity matters to God. I wonder if you believe that. Generosity matters to God. Do you know why it matters to him? Because he is generous. Generosity matters to God because God is generous And he wants you and I and his church to be generous too as a reflection of him. So how how do we be generous? How do we be generous? I want to just make three really brief observations about the difference between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. And the three observations have to do with this why they gave, what they gave, and how they gave. You want to know how to be generous? 
I think it has a lot to do with taking the time to consider why am I giving, what am I giving, how am I giving. So first and foremost, why they gave. I really think the why behind your generosity determines whether you're really generous. Why did Ananias and Sapphira give? It's very clear. Ego, right? <laughs> Look at us. Hey, we're giving all this money. It was all about ego. It was all, look at me. It was all, look how, how generous I am. Friends, why do you give? Do you give because of ego? Do you give because maybe people will see you? Do you give so people can applaud to you? Why do you give? For Ananias and Sapphira, it was ego. Part of me wonders if it was a little bit of expectation, too. Oh, gosh, they're, they're all selling these properties. I guess, guess we got to sell a property, too. Okay. And, and, and so I wonder if some of it was motivated by, well, I guess we're expected to do this. But what about Barnabas? Why did he give? It doesn't really tell us why Barnabas gave, but verse 33 is a really telling verse to the motive of why all these other people were giving. Verse 33, look at it with me closely. I think it's the most important verse in this passage. Verse 33, chapter 4, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Okay, so pause here for a moment. This whole passage is about money. And in the middle of this passage, there's this verse about money and giving. And they're like, oh, by the way, in the midst of all of this generosity and in the midst of all these people selling their houses and, and selling their land, you had the church leaders just continually telling people about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that have to do with generosity? I think everything. I think that the reason why they gave the way they gave is because they were being reminded of the way God had given to them. You know, we talk about living with open hands. If you, one day, if you know Christ is your Savior, you will spend eternity with him. And you know what will happen when you see Jesus? You know what his hands look like? Do you know what they look like? We're reminded in, in, in the book of John where Thomas is like, I gotta see the nails, scars in his hands. Jesus in his resurrected body, his new glorious body. I, I don't know about you, in my new glorious body, I hope that I, you know, Things are working a little bit better than they are now. Some of these bumps, some of these bruises, some of these scars, I kind of hope they're gone. Jesus, he still has nail-scarred hands. And so here's what I imagine. These people are being reminded if God gave his son on the cross for us, how can we not give of our possessions, of our finances to those in need. 
If Jesus rose from the dead and is alive, which means that when I die, I'm also going to rise from the dead and go to heaven and probably not going to be able to bring any of the stuff with me. Sorry. Why am I... Why am I holding on to so many of my riches when I know that in the resurre- my own resurrection, I'm not going to take any of it with me? And here's what I see. Here's the motivation that I see for Barnabas. He was using his treasure to show that he treasured Christ more. He was using his treasure to show that he treasured Christ more. He gave because of what God had given him. I cannot emphasize this enough. When you give, whatever you give, don't do it for yourself. Don't do it because it's an expectation. Do it because of what God has given you. He's given you and I his son. I mean, just imagine that. Do we take time and slow down long enough to go, okay, God gave me his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was murdered on a cross in my place. That should have been me. When I think about that, why would I not just give financially? Why would I not just give my life? Why do you give? Is it because of expectation or is it because of what God has given you? I dare you to just slow down every time you give. Open up your hands and imagine nail-pierced hands for you and, and just go, Jesus, I'm giving because of what you have given me. That's why he gave. But there's another thing that I think really helps us understand how to be generous. It's why we give, but it also has to do with what we give. Now, that was a major issue for Ananias and Sapphira of what they gave. Now, we're not given a ton of details other than whatever they did give, it was not what represent, they, they lied about it. Here's what I think happened, so just, I'm gonna, we'll figure this out in heaven. Part of me wonders if they're seeing everyone give, and they're like, oh gosh, maybe we should give, and, and, and I, I get a sense that their faith in Christ, there's a genuineness to it. I don't think this is a reflection that they're not saved, because let's, let's be honest here. Like, if, if we did you know, it, just because you haven't died, dropped dead from your sins, right? Like we read this and go, wow, they're, they're really, really bad. No, God is just making a point here, okay? You see this time and time again in Scripture. Whenever God does something new, like remember Achan in the promised land? He decides to hold back some of, of, of the money instead of giving it to God like they were supposed to. And Achan and his family died. It's just, you know, that's a whole nother sermon. Sorry, I can't help but do a little Bible trivia with you. But... Here's what I wonder what happens. I wonder if Ananias and Sapphira are like, yeah, we should sell this and let's give the proceeds and they sell it and then they put the money in their hands. When you hold the dollar, it, yeah. sure, here. You hold 10 bucks nowadays, I'd, a Big Mac meal at McDonald's is over 10 bucks. Sure, whatever. $100, oh, okay. Wow, all right. 
$1,000. Oh, okay. $100,000? And I wonder if they got the money in their hand and they're like, oh, it's <laughs> a little more than I thought we were going to get. You know, I mean, would it be so bad if, like, we, you know, held back some of it? I know that we kind of decided we'd give this, but it wouldn't be so bad. I mean, you get a sense that they give a massive chunk of this. But what seems to be the issue is, one, they lie about it. But what we see, especially, we see this in 2 Corinthians 9, where, um, where the Apostle Paul tells us, decide what you're going to give. I think if you want to be generous, you have to decide, what are we going to give? Every single year, Melissa and I, we go on a yearly retreat, we pick a word of the year. Every single year, we ask ourselves the question, what are we going to give financially? You know why we do that? Because we have found that generosity is a moving target, is it not? Someone who makes $60,000 and ties gives 10%, that's a different kind of generosity than someone who makes $120,000 and gives 10%, which is a different kind of generosity than the person who makes $240,000 and gives 10%, which is, you know where I'm going here? And here's what we found. I call it lifestyle creep, where you, maybe you get a raise or maybe you get a promotion, and, and, and what happens to a lot of us is we let, the, we let our lifestyle um, creep with the level of our income without ever thinking about the level of our generosity. What if instead of letting our income determine our lifestyle, we let our generosity determine our lifestyle? Now, I realize that's radical. But I wonder how attractive it would be to outsiders. I want to use my treasure in a way that shows that I treasure Christ more. That's not easy to do. Determine what you will give. Determine it. And then trust God. The last thing worth pointing out, I think, is, okay, we need to discern, why do I give? What do I give? How do I give? How do you give? Again, 2 Corinthians, it talks about this, where it says, don't give reluctantly, but give with a cheerful heart. The, the Lord loves a, a, a cheerful giver. And, and you see it in this passage where clearly Ananias and Sapphira, they are giving reluctantly. And then you have Barnabas who is giving, he's giving joyfully, he's giving wholeheartedly. How do you give? Let me tell you a story. Anytime um, someone talks about their own giving, it can be a little bit dangerous. But I'm be real with you guys. Um, if if all I do is talk about generosity and I don't live it, why, why should anybody else, right? So 
a number of years ago, I went to this conference where uh, a gentleman named Rick Warren was speaking. If that name sounds familiar, he's a pastor. He wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, ended up being the best-selling hardback book in, in American history. It's the most translated book other than the Bible in, ever, ever in all of history. And, um, and so Rick Warren is, is, is sharing, and he shares a little bit of this story and, and how he literally just became a multi, multi, multi-millionaire overnight. Pastor making just enough to multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And, um, and I was just really affected by what I heard, and I came home, and it was online, and so Melissa and I watched this together, and and uh, Rick Warren talks about how um, he, he makes this statement where he says, you want to know why God picked me to, to write the best-selling hardback book in American history? Apparently he knew the answer to that. But, but he made this statement. He said, because God knew what I would do with the money. And then he goes back and he tells this story of how every single year for the past 30-some-odd years, his wife and him would raise their level of giving every single year, no matter what. Sometimes it was a percent, two percent, three percent. Sometimes it was a quarter percent, just a fraction. And he just said, you know, people say, I would be generous if I have lots of money. No, you wouldn't. You're not being generous now. Jesus said, faithful with little, faithful with much. You ain't going to be faithful with little. Why wouldn't you ain't gonna be faithful with much? And he said something. He said, I want to challenge you and your spouse to raise your level of giving every single year, even if it's like a fraction. And so we watch this, and Melissa looks at me. She says, well, what do you think? And I'm the one in charge of the money, guys. I'm the one who makes the budget. Melissa has no idea, really. I mean, it's just, maybe that's not a good thing, but, but she, she's not into the numbers of these things, so she doesn't know. So whenever we talk about giving, she's just like throwing out numbers. I'm like, you clearly have no idea how much money we have in the bank, dear. <laughs> and, and, and she said, you know, why, why wouldn't we? And... I want to challenge you to do the very same exact thing. I challenge you, those of you who are married, sit down with your spouse every single year, decide what you're going to give. And you know what it's done for Melissa and I? It has allowed the moving target of generosity to be a target we strategically aim at. We want to be generous. Now, we realize that our kind of generosity is different than some other people's kind of generosity because God has just absolutely given them just riches. And so it's, praise God for those who are rich and they're just giving away riches. And, and so for us, it looks, it looks a little bit different. And, and we don't say, hey, you know, we're just gonna be generous with our time. No, 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 we, we, we wanna be generous with our finances too. And I wanna challenge you to have that conversation with your spouse and say, what if we raised our giving every single year for the rest of our lives? And I've been playing this game with God since 2000, I think it was 2014. And every single year we do it, and we, it, we don't do it at the end of the year. We do it at, like before the year gets started. 
And, and, and it's before I even know what my income is going to be the next year, if I get a raise or not get a raise. So it's really always this act of faith, and we make this decision. And I've been playing this game with God for like the past six, seven, eight years now. Where I'm like, okay, Lord, we're okay. We're going to kind of do, you know, we're just kind of doing one of these things. And every single time the Lord's like, watch this. It's, guys, I could just tell you story after story after story after story. Just checks showing up in the mail. I had one the other day. We, we were over, we were $1,130 over our budget because we had this obscene thing that came up. We're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. That's a lot of money to be over budget for the month. And I'm like, Lord, ah, would you provide for us? A week later, I get a check in the mail from the IRS. They send invoices, yo. They don't send checks. A check for $1,150. Now, I was like, Lord, it would have been so cool if it was 1132 because that was the exact amount. And then I thought about it a little bit longer. I'm like, no, Lord, that was better that you did more. Let's just, yeah. Now I can take my wife out on a date. Yeah. Here's where I want to end. I don't want to miss this. What we see in this passage in countless other places in Scripture is your generosity will determine what God does in you and through you for His glory. Ananias and Sapphira, they die. That's painful. Barnabas, you know what happens to Barnabas? You read this and go, he gets a cool new name. The son of encouragement. If you keep reading through the book of Acts, you know what happens next? He's called upon to be a major leader in the local church. You keep reading, you know what happens next? What seems to be the healthiest, fastest growing church in, in, in the whole entire world, Barnabas is called upon to become the lead pastor of that. You know what happens next? Barnabas, along with Paul, are sent out on a global missions movement where the gospel literally goes out through the whole entire known world. That is how God uses Barnabas. I don't know about you. I want to be used for the glory of God. I want to be spent for the glory of God. I want to be used. Amen? I want us to be a church that is spent for the glory of God, that does far more than we could ever ask, imagine, or think. I want that. I desire that. But are we generous? Are we living open-handed? And here's the thing, friends. If you're not generous with your money, you're not going to be generous with your life. If you're not generous with your money, with your treasure, you're not going to be generous with your life. Where do I get that from? Jesus says, hey, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure. He said, no, no, no. Where you put your money, that shows your heart. And may we have open hands and open hearts to God. And so no one likes it when a... Ah, preaching on money, one of those. Here's why I have no shame in this. 
One, I have no idea what you guys give. I don't, I don't ever want to know. That's fine. It's between you and the Lord. But what I am calling you to is not a curse. It's a blessing. What I am commending you to is a tremendous sacrifice that will lead to blessing. God will use you in ways you cannot imagine. Don't hear me. I am not saying that if you give, God will make you rich. Uh Uh-uh, ain't happened yet, okay? He will meet your needs, and then he will use you for every good work. And so I want to challenge you. Just, just, would you end with me doing this? I'm going to invite worship team. Would you, would you come up? Would you open your hands for me? Let's end this way. I just want you to open your hands. And I want to challenge you to have a conversation with your spouse and say, what if we increased our giving every single year? What if? Is God calling us to that? And then what I want you to do is, would you really just take some inventory and ask yourself this question? Am I generous with my treasure? And then ask the question, am I generous with my time? And finally, am I generous with my talents, my gifts, my serving? This was the early church. They lived generously, open-handedly, and it brought unity to the church, and it brought this supernatural growth to the church. I think we desire both of those things for our church. But will we step in and be faithful to these things? Let me pray for us. Father, the thing I want people to hear most is why we give. We give because you gave your son, Jesus Christ, for us. Lord, I I pray and I ask that we would use our treasure in a way that shows that we treasure you more. Lord, as we end in a time of worship, it's okay if you convict our hearts. It's okay. It's okay if you put on our hearts and say, man, I want to be open-handed, but I've just been living close-handed. God, would you... Would you put that conviction on our hearts and that, and that we would then lean into you, God, and go, okay, God, I need your help. I want to live open-handed like you. And Lord, then w- w- would we use the rest of this time just to praise you and to thank you for all that you've done for us. You are our everything. Pray these things. And everybody said, amen.